0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden calling on lawmakers to do something after recent mass shootings, while a house panel advances a gun control bill. New details on the police response at the elementary school shooting in Texas. The commander at the scene was not informed of 911 calls coming from panicked students inside the school. South Dakota will be suing the Biden administration over a transgender policy. Schools that don't follow the policy could lose federal funding for the school lunch program. The Biden administration's oil reserve releases are under scrutiny. Republicans have raised concerns about how they may impact U.S. national security. President Biden is calling on Congress to do something to address mass shootings in America. Yesterday, he outlined the steps he believes lawmakers need to take. And today's Jessica Beatty has more on Biden's call to action.
1: After recent mass shootings in the United States, President Biden Thursday called on Congress to come together and work on bipartisan gun control laws. This is not
2: about taking away anyone's guns. It's about not about vilifying gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave.
1: Biden laying out actions he believes need to be taken, including banning certain semi-automatic guns and magazines that hold more than 10 rounds.
2: And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks, enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis.
1: Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell says he's hopeful and optimistic lawmakers can come to a compromise on legislation. But he said the target should be mental illness and school safety. Meanwhile, a House committee advanced a gun control bill Thursday It's called the Protecting Our Kids Act. Democrats pushed it, saying stricter laws are needed in response to recent mass shootings.
3: It has not even been 24 hours since the last mass shooting and who knows how long until the next one.
1: The bill would raise the legal age for buying certain guns from 18 to 21, clamp down on weapons trafficking and restrict large capacity ammunition feeding devices, among other things. Republicans opposed it. Florida Republican Greg Stubbe showed some of his handguns that would be banned because of their magazine size.
2: This is a XL six-hour P365. Comes with a 15-round magazine. Here's a seven-round magazine, which would be less than what would be lawful under this bill if this bill were to become law. It doesn't fit. So this gun would be
0: banned.
1: Speaker Nancy Pelosi promised that the House will vote on the bill next week. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: Police say a man shot and killed two women in the parking lot of a church in Iowa on Thursday and then turned the gun on himself. The shooting took place outside the Cornerstone Church near Ames, Iowa, which is north of Des Moines. The church was founded from a college ministry at Iowa State University. About 1,300 students gather to worship at Cornerstone every Thursday night. The identities of the victims have not yet been revealed. Police said the shooter appears to have shot himself afterwards, but his death is still being investigated. The commander on the scene of the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, was not informed of 911 calls coming from students trapped inside the school. A state senator says it's a system failure that calls going to city police were not communicated. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg reports.
4: Democrat State Senator Roland Gutierrez says no single person or entity was fully to blame. THE 911 CALLS
5: WERE NOT BEING COMMUNICATED TO THE SO-CALLED INCIDENT COMMANDER, OFFICER Arredondo.
4: GUTIERREZ SAYS THE STATE AGENCY HE SPOKE WITH TOLD HIM THE 911 CALLS WERE COMMUNICATED TO A UVALDE POLICE OFFICER, BUT DID NOT KNOW WHO. THE SENATOR SAYS IT WAS A COMBINATION OF HUMAN AND SYSTEM ERROR. WE LIVE IN RURAL TEXAS. WE'RE DIFFERING COUNTIES AND DIFFERENT ENTITIES, CONTRACT WITH
5: DIFFERENT RADIO COMPANIES. AND WE DON'T HAVE THEM TALKING TO ONE ANOTHER ON ONE UNIFORM SYSTEM. THAT'S AN ABSENCE OF LEADERSHIP. IT STARTS AT THE TOP. IT STARTS WITH THE LEGISLATURE.
4: QUESTIONS AND CRITICISM ABOUT THE POLICE RESPONSE HAVE BEEN RAISED AFTER THE SHOOTING. SOME OFFICIALS SAY POLICE WERE TOO SLOW IN THEIR RESPONSE. THE GUNMAN SPENT ROUGHLY 80 MINUTES INSIDE THE SCHOOL BEFORE BEING KILLED BY LAW ENFORCEMENT. AUTHORITIES HAVE STRUGGLED IN GIVING AN ACCURATE TIMELINE AND DETAILS OF THE EVENT AND POLICE RESPONSE. Sometimes providing conflicting information and withdrawing some statements according to the texas department of public safety Police didn't confront the gunman because police chief Arredondo believed the situation had changed from an act of shooting to a hostage Situation the department confirmed earlier this week that a teacher did not actually prop open a door before the gunman entered the building They now say the door did not automatically lock as it should have after a teacher closed it Funerals for the 19 students and two teachers killed have already begun. Officials at Robb Elementary say students will not return to the school. According to Gutierrez, President Biden offered federal funding to raise the school and rebuild a new one. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: Seven states are holding their primary elections next Tuesday, June 7th. Let's take a look at what races are scheduled in Montana, New Mexico and New Jersey.
6: Montana will not have a Senate or a gubernatorial race, but is holding two congressional races in two newly drawn districts. While Washington fights,
5: Matt Rosendale goes to work. He expanded
6: access to health care, lowered premiums, protected pre-existing conditions. Republican Congressman Matt Rosendale currently represents the entire state. He's expected to win re-election in the state's second district, but still faces primary challengers. The first district is more competitive, but leans red. Ryan Zinke is the most high-profile GOP candidate.
1: So please raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony... He
6: served as Secretary of the Interior during the Trump administration. Over in New Mexico, incumbent Democratic Governor Michelle Grisham is also running for re-election.
7: What can a governor do to jumpstart our economy? A lot.
6: Though she could see a challenge in November from Republican frontrunner Mark Ronchetti.
3: Our governor pulled the guard and then gave stimulus checks to illegal immigrants. You can't fight crime if you don't secure the border.
6: Ronchetti, a former TV meteorologist, has 45% support in the GOP primary. That's according to a poll published in the Albuquerque Journal. This gives him a commanding lead over other GOP candidates, who are all polling at less than 20%.
7: I care deeply for New Mexico. We have got to make sure that we have a seat at the table, that our family values, our culture, and our way of life is being represented in Washington. And right now it's not.
6: As for congressional races, incumbent Republican Congresswoman Yvette Harrell is running for re-election. She's New Mexico's only Republican in Congress and has no primary challenger. And now to New Jersey, the state has no Senate or gubernatorial elections. Voters will head to the polls to select their party nominees for the 12 congressional districts. Four of nine Democratic incumbents face challengers, but those races aren't expected to be close.
0: South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is planning to sue the Biden administration over an overhaul of the federal school lunch program. That's because the program has a requirement about transgender policies in schools. Here are the details.
6: South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem announced Thursday that she will sue the Biden administration over how it handles transgender issues under the federal school lunch program. The Department of Agriculture announced in May that all state and local agencies that receive federal funding for meals must not discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity. In other words, schools could lose the funding if they are not allowing biological males who identify as females to use women's restrooms or compete in women's sports. The South Dakota governor criticized the policy in a press release, saying President Biden is holding lunch money for poor Americans hostage in pursuit of his radical agenda. He is insisting that we allow biological males to compete in girls' sports or else lose funding for SNAP and school lunch programs. South Dakota will continue to defend basic fairness so that our girls can compete and achieve. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack defended the policy in a statement saying, The Department of Agriculture is committed to administering all its programs with equity and fairness and serving those in need with the highest dignity. A key step in advancing these principles is rooting out discrimination in any form, including discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity.
0: A team volunteering to help patrol the southern border encountered a large group of legal immigrants. They attempted to reunite a lost young girl with her father, but he collapsed before he could see her. Please note some of the following footage may be disturbing. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Someone make sure she's okay first. Okay. The river took her father down.
2: The gentleman speaking in this video is Samuel Hall. He's the founder of Patriots for America Militia. This group is currently volunteering to help patrol the southern border.
5: It's a humanitarian mission. You know, we, we go down there and, you know, I guess our biggest goal is to disrupt and frustrate, but we have to do it all legally, all constitutionally. You know, uh, we've been able to forge some, uh, you know, very valuable relationships with elected officials and sheriffs uh, in multiple counties uh, over the past eight months. And, you know, they've been uh, trusting us to do what we do uh, the legal way, so they don't get any heat uh, from the ACLU or the Center for Southern Poverty Law, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Hall said over 100 people crossed the Rio Grande River that day in late May. And he found a young girl named Sophia, who was unaccompanied. Her father had gotten swept away when he tried to cross the river with his family. If you saw in the
5: video at one point, a man tried to come up and grab the little girl by the arm, and I stopped him and I said, "No, no, no." Uh, and then, you know, sometime after that, the little girl recognized, uh, you know, who was her tia. We didn't know that at the time, uh, and of course, she ran up, and you can hear her tia saying that, you know, these are bad people around here. You know, so. It's, it's an awful, awful, chaotic, insane, um, you know, situation on the border. But, you know, we do everything we can. Uh, but our biggest, our biggest goal is to definitely take care of the kids first.
2: Hall said the little girl was dehydrated and he gave her some water and then walked her to Border Patrol, which was about a mile away. Her father crossed the river after that.
5: They ended up coming over. We ended up helping them up the bank, a very, very steep, steep cliff. You know, the father was very happy. You know, they were from Columbia. They were seeking asylum. Uh, he introduced us to his family. He said, I finally got him over here. I finally got him over here. I'm so glad my family is safe. And he was praying and he was crying. And uh, he took about 20 steps and he just collapsed. Uh, to lower level, executive to lower level. We need, uh, we need medical
2: stuff. Their team immediately began performing CPR on Orlando as his family members stood close by. In
5: Jesus' name, I just pray your mighty angels, Father God, over Orlando and over his family, God, I just pray right now that you just be Jehovah.
2: EMS and Border Patrol arrived soon after, but they were unable to save Orlando. Hall said it's dangerous what their team does on the border, and it's not only the cartels. Hall recently broke his leg after falling down a cliff. He said their biggest goal is to take care of the kids first.
0: Jason Perry, NTD News. About 43,000 fewer convicted criminals who were in the U.S. illegally were deported from fiscal years 2019 to 2021. We hear some analysis from an immigration expert about some of the potential reasons behind this. Joining us now is Jessica Vaughn, who is the Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you for coming on the show today, Jessica. My pleasure. Your, your center obtained records through a fr- Freedom of Information Act request that showed that deportations of illegal immigrants convicted of violent crimes has plunged since President Biden took office. Can you give us an idea as to why this may be the case?
8: Well, um, the reason that deportations have gone down so dramatically is because of policies that President Biden put in place, really starting on his first day in office, which were then reinforced as the year went on. And what he did basically was to first impose uh, an actual moratorium on deportations, which was later blocked by a court, uh, and then to tell ICE officers who and ICE is the agency of the Department of Homeland Security that does enforcement in the interior of the country, and their focus is on that fraction of non-citizens who have been arrested for other crimes. That's who they target primarily. So he told them that um, that rather than uh, going after all of the cases that were would be referred to them by local law enforcement agencies they were only allowed to arrest and remove the most serious types of criminals, specifically people who were involved in terrorism, people who'd been convicted of the most serious types of crimes, which they call aggravated felons, um, or and, and if they wanted to remove someone else, that they would have to go through a lot of paperwork and, uh, and, and extra work to actually remove that person. So the result is that deportations by ICE declined by about 70% uh, during, after President Biden took office. And what this means is that since ICE is focused primarily on criminals to begin with, That means that fewer criminal aliens were being removed by ICE. And this contradicts a claim made uh, by the Biden administration. They said they were doing this because their resources were limited and that they uh, wanted to focus on the most serious criminals. But the result was really that all deportations went down, including deportations of serious criminals, and and even with the same amount of money. So ICE is doing more, uh, excuse me, is doing less immigration enforcement even with the same resources.
0: A little bit of red tape is holding the ice back from doing their job. Now, can you compare apples to apples here? The deportations have gone down, but what about the number of illegal immigrants committing crimes? Has that stayed the same or gone up or down?
8: It's actually gone down. And um, we were able to determine this by... Looking at the records um, starting when the Biden policies officially took place, which was in February, and then calculating a figure a daily rate of immigration enforcement and deportations. And what we found was that deportations had been cut in half, essentially, from the interior. And again, the result is is that it's not that immigrants are committing fewer crimes or that illegal aliens are committing fewer crimes. It's not like there's fewer people for ICE to go after, especially in the, in the midst of this surge. Of illegal arrivals at the southern border, the result is that they're simply removing fewer criminals. And that's a public safety problem in communities because those criminals, when they are not removed, go right back to our communities to reoffend and create new victims.
0: Well, Jessica Vaughn at the Center for Immigration Studies, thank you so much for your analysis on this.
8: Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up, Ford Motor Company plans to add thousands of jobs to its plants in several Midwest states. The company is investing billions in new and updated vehicle production. And California water officials adopted a ban last month on watering certain green spaces as the state's drought drags on. Some are replacing their lawns with artificial turf. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Several Republican Congress members are questioning the Biden administration's release of the nation's oil reserves. All the while, they highlight how China is currently strengthening energy ties with Russia and gaining leverage over the U.S. Here are the details.
9: Republicans on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce sent a letter Thursday to the Biden administration's Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm. They say they are concerned that the Energy Department is rapidly depleting the nation's petroleum reserves in an attempt to alleviate energy shortages before the midterm elections, and that the Biden administration has failed to come up with a plan to maintain reserves over the long term. The Biden administration recently announced plans to release up to 260 million barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve from October 2021 through October 2022. This would make it the largest oil release in history. The lawmakers say the current situation is particularly problematic because sanctions against Russia have led to China expanding its energy transactions with Moscow. Their letter reads, As a result, China may now control the world's largest stockpile of oil with total crude inventories estimated at 950 million barrels. And the Biden administration is depleting the nation's petroleum reserves while allowing OPEC, Russia and China to gain geopolitical leverage over the United States. The lawmakers are asking the Energy Department to answer a number of questions, including what has been the effect of recent oil releases on U.S. gas prices, how many barrels of Strategic Petroleum Reserve crude oil has the U.S. exported to foreign powers, and which are the top buyers.
0: President Joe Biden and Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, are planning to meet later this month. It comes after two key deals were reached following months of diplomatic heavy lifting by the U.S. In a surprise announcement Thursday, OPEC and allied oil producing nations revealed they plan to increase oil production by 200,000 barrels a day in July and August. It led to praise from the White House for Saudi Arabia's role in achieving consensus and facilitating the boost. Biden separately announced on Thursday that a truce in Yemen has been extended. He heaped praise on the Saudis for demonstrating what he called courageous leadership by taking initiatives early on to endorse and implement terms of the U.N.-led truce. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed what he calls the Freedom First budget, totaling almost $110 billion for the next fiscal year. He says it will blunt the impact on Floridians of a Biden-induced recession. DeSantis said a total of over $3 billion was trimmed from the budget using a line-item veto. He said this will put Florida in a better position should a recession hit. DeSantis criticized President Biden's economic and energy policies, linking them to the nation's record inflation numbers. The governor credited strong fiscal policies that have spurred growth and opportunities for Florida residents. DeSantis said the budget benefited from an unexpected surplus in tax revenue, thanks in part to his refusal to lock down businesses and schools. The budget will go into effect July 1st. Ford announced the creation of new jobs and new investments in its manufacturing plants, An Ohio plant will expand to manufacture an electric vehicle in the near future.
2: We're going to create 6,200
6: new UAW jobs and invest $3.7 billion in Ford plants across the Midwest, how about that?
10: Today is about our future. And our future is that manufacturing is now moving in Ohio forward. This is the future of manufacturing.
0: The factory jobs will be created at Ford plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. The company plans to make more electric vehicles and roll out two redesigned gas engine vehicles. A factory near Cleveland will expand with 1,800 new jobs to build a planned electric commercial vehicle. The company will add 1,100 jobs at a Missouri plant and 3,200 workers at assembly plants in Michigan. Ford also plans to convert 3,000 temporary workers into full-time workers with pay raises and benefits. It's part of Ford's plan to have the capacity to make two million electric vehicles per year globally by 2026. General Motors is cutting the price of its new Chevrolet Bolt on track to making it the cheapest electric vehicle on the U.S. market. The 2023 Bolt EV model will sell for $26,595. That's down nearly $6,000 from the 2022 model. The Bolt's new price slightly undercuts the electric Nissan LEAF. GM is also reducing the price of its larger Bolt, the EUV, While Bolt EV is expected to be the least expensive electric vehicle in the U.S., not all car makers have released pricing for their 2023 models. The U.S. economy has seen record inflation this year with sharp price hikes on a number of goods, including cars. So GM's decision goes against the grain as other automakers raise prices. A GM spokesperson said it's lowering prices to make sure the Bolt vehicles are competitive in the marketplace. GM declined to say if it would make a profit on Bolts with the new price decrease. A Chicago police officer was taken to a hospital in critical condition Wednesday after she was shot while attempting to make a traffic stop on the city's south side. Police Superintendent David Brown said two uniformed officers were in a marked squad car attempting a traffic stop in the West Inglewood neighborhood. Brown says the car that the officers were trying to pull over first sped up then, sled, and then slowed down to pull even with the squad car. At that point, someone in the car started firing a gun at the officers. The officer who was driving was shot and wounded in her upper body. The officer who had been in the passenger seat drove the wounded officer to the hospital. Brown said the wounded officer was in critical but stable condition. Her name hasn't been released. The suspect's vehicle crashed nearby and suspects fled from it. They were still at large on Wednesday night. Four New York firefighters have died from 9-11-related illnesses. According to the city's fire department, their deaths happened over a four-day period around the end of May. The firefighters were all retired. The department did not detail their ailments, but they say the men suffered from long-term illnesses that affected first responders who worked at the scene of the attack on the World Trade Center in 2001. Exposure has been linked to a range of health conditions, including acute traumatic injuries, cancers like lymphoma, leukemia, and myeloma, as well as respiratory diseases. The fire department says they have lost to date 287 members to World Trade Center-related illnesses. Texas officials say a convicted killer who escaped custody and eluded authorities for several weeks was killed in a shootout with police on Thursday. Police spotted Gonzalo Lopez driving near Jordanton, which is 30 miles south of San Antonio. Several hours earlier, they announced he was the main suspect in the murder of five people whose bodies were discovered earlier in the day. Authorities say Lopez was driving a vehicle belonging to one of the victims. Police laid spikes on the road, which flattened the tires of the vehicle Lopez was driving. He attempted to keep driving on the rims of the tires before crashing into a telephone pole. Lopez was serving a life sentence for a 2005 murder and attempted murder of a police officer. He escaped custody on May 13th, triggering a massive manhunt. Authorities have not released any further details about the five bodies they found on Thursday. A New York appellate court has upheld Harvey Weinstein's rape conviction. The court rejected the disgraced movie mogul's claims. He had said that the judge at the landmark Me Too trial prejudiced him saying the judge allowed women to testify about allegations that weren't part of the criminal case. The ruling Thursday by a five-judge panel affirmed the milestone verdict. Weinstein is jailed in California, where he was extradited last year. He's awaiting trial on charges that he assaulted five women in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills from 2004 to 2013. Weinstein was convicted in New York in 2020 of a criminal sex act on a TV production assistant and rape in the third degree of an aspiring actress. Weinstein is currently serving a 23-year prison sentence for the New York charges. The disgraced producer has maintained his innocence. Mexican authorities say a former Mexican governor was extradited from the United States. That's where he had been held for nearly two years on charges of embezzlement and criminal association. Cesar Duarte governed the state of Chihuahua from 2010 to 2016. He was arrested in 2020 by U.S. Marshals in Miami, Florida. Duarte is accused of acting in a group to divert more than 96 million pesos, about $6.5 million, from the government between 2011 and 2014. Authorities say the former governor's extradition was the result of the close collaboration between Mexico and the United States. It came the same day six Mexicans were sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury for alleged cartel involvement. Current Chihuahua governor, Mario Campos, said in a message on Twitter she celebrates the decision, adding that her administration would not forgive or forget the actions of past governors. Grass in office parks, college campuses, and in some California neighborhoods will go brown this summer. State water officials adopted a ban last month on watering certain green spaces as the local drought drags on. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details.
10: In Manhattan Beach, California, water restrictions have been in place since January. Homeowner Palin Pratt decided to replace her lawn with artificial grass.
1: Uh, We heard about the water restrictions in Los Angeles, and we just thought, boy, you know, if this isn't a sign, then I don't know what is.
10: In nearby Los Angeles, officials have imposed restrictions on outdoor watering for customers with the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power
6: after three years of droughts here in california as well as the driest january february and march on record which is over a hundred years we are experiencing significant supply shortages from our supplemental water supply sources uh, from northern california
10: workers from landscaper build cal turf cleared pratt's front yard of its old dead grass before unrolling the artificial grass into place
1: you know we like real grass. People like real wood, people like real things, Um, but you realize how much water it takes to, you know, keep your grass green and all of that water and the runoff and everything else is just not necessary.
10: California is in its third year of an acute drought. Starting June 10th, watering some grass outside won't be allowed.
6: We have a ton of programs for anyone that's looking to remove their grass and make that switch to drought-tolerant or sustainable landscaping. Uh, We currently don't incentivize artificial turf because we want to go to more of a sustainable landscaping approach.
10: Grass that can't be watered includes anything that's used for decoration and not for regular activities or events. The ban doesn't apply to parks, sports fields, people's lawns, or to watering trees. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: This week marks the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway, one of the most important naval battles of World War II. On Friday, the Friends of the National World War II Memorial will commemorate the anniversary with a special ceremony in Washington. It will include a wreath presentation at the World War II Memorial's Pacific Arch. The Battle of Midway took place in June of 1942 when the United States defeated an attacking fleet of the Imperial Japanese Navy near Midway Atoll. Japan had planned to invade the Hawaiian Islands, starting at Midway Island, but the U.S. cracked the mission code. The attack on Midway cost Japan four aircraft carriers and more than 200 planes and pilots in the first clear victory for the United States. The U.S. Navy's last conventionally powered aircraft carrier, the former USS Kitty Hawk, has officially bid farewell. The carrier just completed a 16,000-mile final voyage this week. It is now in Brownsville, Texas, waiting to be scrapped. Kitty Hawk was decommissioned in 2009 after nearly half a century of service. The carrier was involved in both the Vietnam War and Operation Iraqi Freedom. International Shipbreaking Limited bought the carrier last year for a symbolic one cent. The company said it agreed to such a low price as it expected to profit from the sale of scrap. A deal was also struck for another conventional aircraft carrier, USS John F. Kennedy, for the same price. Dismantling will begin in July. The company said it plans to complete the whole process within about 18 months. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, English is a special language in the way its pronunciation and spelling don't always match. But how did it get that way? find out some of the history behind the English language. And during migration season, more birds collide with building windows leading to injury and death. In New York, volunteers scout the streets looking for injured birds. We'll have more for you in just a moment. 14-year-old Harini Logan of San Antonio is the winner of the 2022 Scripps National Spelling Bee. That's after a first-ever spell-off was required in the extremely close competition. Logan takes home $50,000 from Scripps, plus further prizes from Merriam-Webster and Encyclopedia Britannica. She beat Vikram Raju of Denver after their neck-and-neck competition required a spell-off to decide the winner. That's the first ever in the history of the bee. The prize for second place is $25,000. They claimed the top spots in the competition that had competitors ages 7 to 15 from across the United States and as far away as Guam. In the spell-off, each competitor had 90 seconds to spell as many words correctly as possible. Raju spelled 15 words correctly of the 19 he attempted. Logan emerged victorious after spelling 21 words correctly of the 26 she attempted. Decoding English from spoken to spelled is a tradition that's almost 100 years old at the Scripps National Spelling Bee, but how did the language get so convoluted in the first place?
8: Chihuahua. C. H. I.
0: H-U-A. U. -u. (laughs) No! Chihuahua.
9: That's difficult, Chihuahua, of course.
11: I've never ever written that word in my life. Why is English so hard to spell?
8: Oh, I always spell this wrong. Ooh.
11: There are clear differences between how the words are written and how they're said. If English is not your first language, you may not realize it's not that normal. In fact, it's virtually unique among the major alphabetic languages. Take Italian or Finnish. They have spelling and pronunciation that line up much more readily, not (laughs) like this.
1: Logaria, L O G. G
11: If you grew up in the United States, chances are spelling bees were part of your childhood. (laughs) Decoding English from spoken to spelt is a tradition that's almost 100 years old at the Scripps National Spelling Bee. A-R-A-B-L-E, arable. Correct. So how did the English language get so convoluted? First, let's take a brief look at the history.
3: The British Isles, where the English language sort of is derived from, has been invaded by multiple people over the centuries. So you've got the Romans and the Vikings and the French all coming in. And therefore the language was also sort of evolving and churning through these other people interacting. And as a result, the English language has become enmeshed with all these other languages altogether. That's a big part of why the English language is difficult to spell.
11: There are 26 letters in the English alphabet and roughly 44 sounds, depending on the dialect. Vowels make up 20 or so of those sounds.
3: The schwa sound, which is sort of this universal sound that is uh... It's the uh sound, you know, people say it all the time because it requires absolutely no effort with your uh, mouth or tongue to create. You just say uh. One of the experts I spoke with referred to it as a lump of clay that is sort of like shaped into all the other sounds. And it's also really interesting in that the schwa is, it can be represented by any vowel in the English language. So, for example, album it's the U or syringe, it's a Y. This sound can creep up in all these different places, which is how the spelling bees are very difficult.
11: Are there any alternate pronunciations? The Scripps National Spelling Bee has been held almost every year since 1925. The bees' roots are drawn from the 1800s, when smaller and more local grassroots competitions took place across the states. The Scripps National Spelling Bee carries on that tradition and uses the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as its source of words. T E A N. Correct. The number of words the contestants could be potentially tested on during the first two rounds comes to about 4,000. Correct. After that, any word in the dictionary is fair game, which jumps the word count to around 470,000.
6: Atermine.
11: A-T-T-E-R-M-I-N-E. Atermine. Good job. In the last decade, Spellers have raised the intensity of the competition, culminating with the Octo Champs, when eight Spellers were all crowned co-champion in 2019.
0: During migration season, birds risk colliding with skyscrapers or other tall buildings. In New York, volunteers scout the streets looking for injured birds, which are then taken to rehab and eventually released. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more.
10: During migration season, more birds collide with building windows, leading to injury and death. The biggest obstacle are windows that reflect back trees and the sky.
4: New York City, we are on a migratory flyway, so a lot of birds pass through our city as they migrate south or north to their, to their overwintering or breeding grounds.
10: Birds can't tell that these windows are a surface and can smash into them.
4: The shiny glass windows that make disorienting reflections, those can be treated with window films um, and patterned, patterned window films that help a bird distinguish that it's not in fact a skyline or a tree line it's flying into, that it is in fact glass and a surface.
10: To make windows bird safe, Clem recommends sticking clear bird film across them or hanging parrot cord strings. Turning off lights at night in office buildings or closing blinds also helps.
3: But it's happening all over the world. Wherever there is birds and glass, you have potential victims. And the whole thing is, is that the responsible thing for us humans to do to
10: deal with this threat is to make it safe, make our built environment safe. Once a week, volunteers scout the streets to document birds that have been injured by collisions. If they find injured birds, they bring them to the city's only wildlife rehabilitation center, the Wild Bird Fund.
0: We examine a lot of birds that have come in with collisions and we treat them Uh, Frequently, for eye injuries, um, we will give them an anti-inflammatory medication almost always um, and then provide them with the appropriate food and water and a quiet resting place um, while they recover.
10: The Wild Bird Fund treats and nurses the injured birds. Whenever possible, it returns them back into the wild to continue their migration. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Still to come, representatives from South Korea, Japan, and the U.S. meet in Seoul to discuss North Korea's suspected upcoming nuclear test. It would be North Korea's first nuclear test since 2017. We'll have more for you after this short break. The U.S. military has conducted cyber operations in support of Ukraine as the country defends itself against Russia's invasion. The head of Cyber Command, the U.S. military's hacking unit, confirmed the news in a published interview. It's a rare public acknowledgment. Hacking operations are often shrouded in mystery. They're not revealing when the operations began or what they entail officials have long warned that russia may launch cyber attacks against the u.s in retaliation for sweeping sanctions against the kremlin the hack attacks are another way the u.s can help since president joe biden has pledged not to directly engage russia in a shooting war united states south korean and japanese nuclear envoys met in seoul today for talks on north korea That's amid signs the isolated country is preparing to conduct a nuclear test for the first time since 2017. U.S. Special Representative Sung Kim met his South Korean and Japanese counterparts after a U.S. assessment that the North was preparing its Punggye-ri test site for what would be its seventh nuclear test.
10: And we want to make clear that the PIK to the DPRK that it's unlawful and destabilizing activities have consequences and that the international community will not accept these actions as normal. And the only, vi- the only viable path forward for DPRK is through diplomatic negotiations.
0: Last week, the United States called for more UN sanctions on North Korea over its ballistic missile launches, but China and Russia vetoed the suggestion. This is the first time the UN Security Council split on North Korea since 2006, when it conducted its first nuclear test. President Biden's nominees to serve on the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board have agreed to no investments in Chinese firms. That's according to a June 2nd announcement from Senator Marco Rubio. The four nominees also confirmed in writing their belief that Americans should not invest in any country that threatens U.S. national security. If confirmed by the Senate, the nominees will join the five-member board. Rubio previously put a hold on the nominations, but said that he has now removed that hold. Since 1984, billions of dollars have been invested in the thrift savings plan by federal workers. Last month, five Republican senators raised concerns about a proposed mutual fund that would include multiple Chinese firms or firms based in other countries that threaten U.S. national security. And if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, dog owners take their pooches with them on their boards during a paddleboard race near Barcelona and wind down with some yoga after the event. Horses writing emails? Now they can. A company in Iceland has found a way to make work on vacation feel more like fun. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. paddle surf race with your dog might sound like fun, but it demands a well-trained pooch who will stay still on the board while you race. Dogs and their owners took up the challenge at an event near Barcelona. Entities Andrew Thomas has more.
5: The
10: seaside village of El Mizno is hosting a paddle surf race with dogs. It's definitely not an easy trick. Canine contenders must be properly trained by their owners and totally obedient. The dogs must patiently sit on the board while their human companions paddle along a one-mile course. A dog's natural instinct would be to jump in the water, so the race demands they stay still and obedient. The slowest team took 20 minutes to complete the race, while it took only 10 minutes for Mark San Pedro and his dog Dana to reach the finish line.
4: I don't feel much pressure because I'm used to participating in paddle surf races without dogs. I'm very happy to participate with her in this race. She is eight years old, and I don't know if we'll be able to race together again because she's getting old. I hope we can do a few more races together.
10: Local vet Laya Sabat organized the event as a meetup for dogs and their owners. It's also a chance to train dogs under challenging circumstances.
1: For the person, it's about doing paddle surf as a sport, and for the dog, it's an act of obedience and restraint, because they're only thinking of jumping to the water. They want to jump. So it's a different experience for the two participants. The tricky thing is to keep the dog quiet. It's like having a regular dog training session and learning orders like sit or stay, but more fun in the water.
10: The race was followed by a beach yoga class with the dogs. But keeping them quiet while focusing on controlled breathing was challenging.
1: This is the first time both for me and for her. I had seen people doing yoga on television. It's been a very nice experience. I am sure we will both keep doing it at home. It's about creating further bonds with her.
10: The yoga class wasn't exactly suited for the dogs but maybe they can learn some basic poses such as downward dog in time. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Premenstrual symptoms or PMS affect many women, but there are different things that you can eat and drink to lessen the symptoms. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
7: What you eat and drink can have a big influence on both the physical and emotional symptoms of your PMS. Most experts recommend that women with premenstrual syndrome start by avoiding caffeine and alcohol. So give those lattes and martinis a break. The reason is that alcohol and caffeine can exacerbate headaches, anxiety, and depression. It's also a good idea to drink at least eight glasses of water each day. If you are drinking tap water, consider natural spring water. If you are looking for a fresh water source, then look up the website findaspring.com. They have a map of natural springs across the US where you can collect your own water. Just remember, you'll need to supply your own bottles. If you are having trouble with bloating, cut back on salt. Also, drinking more water helps you to retain less. And interestingly, some studies have found that eating more carbs in the middle of your cycle can help to relieve depression, tension, confusion, and fatigue. Eating starchy foods like potatoes and crackers can boost your level of serotonin. This is a brain chemical linked to mood. But I'm not talking about french fries, so make sure you stay away from processed food and take out food as much as possible. Aim to do your own home cooking and try to eat well all month long and not just well prior to your period. Aim to eat lots of whole foods including fresh fruits and vegetables. In another study, women with PMS took 1,200 milligrams of calcium per day for three months. They reported that premenstrual symptoms such as pain, food cravings, mood swings, and water retention had diminished by half. The researchers who noticed that some of these symptoms resemble those of severe calcium deficiency suspect that low levels of calcium may cause women's bodies to secrete hormones that cause PMS.
0: For many people, the most vexing part of vacation is the constant barrage of emails, while the Icelandic Tourism Office has pioneered a special solution, teaching horses to answer them. The campaign is known as "Outhorse Your Email. Icelandic technologists teamed up with a horse trainer to build a large keyboard. It sits on the ground. Visitors can choose one from the three trained horses. They will trot across that keyboard and tap out the words needed for a reply. The idea was sparked by a study. It says that during vacations, more than half of Icelandic travelers still receive work emails that require an immediate response. To help visitors enjoy their holidays without being distracted by work, the Icelandic Tourism Office launched this campaign. The project's director says these ingenious horses even learned how to use corporate buzzwords. The service is completely free and targets tourists who want an escape from work, but it's also available to anyone in the world just need to fill out a form on their website the selected horse will then type a timely response thank you so much for joining us we're going to put our email address on screen we'd love to hear from you for podcasters that's news.today at ntd.com until next time kevin hogan ntd news new york city